Well, we're starting a new series today, and uh, we're talking about what it means to be Christian. And before we start, I want to pray over this. Uh, we're not talking about becoming a Christian. We're not talking about how, what it means to become a Christian. We're talking about what it means to be, to be Christian. And so we're going to need the Spirit to guide us, and He will, and He'll teach us. And so, Lord, we just pray right now. We pray over your word, um, pray over this word. And I know, Spirit of God, that you led me down this path, and I pray, Lord, that you would Plant this word in the hearts of these people and let it do what you want it to do. And I know, God, that you can teach 300 different people 300 different things all in one setting. So, God, we're asking that you do that. If there's anyone that walks in this room today with uh, a feeling of negative thoughts, we ask that it would be gone in Jesus' name after they leave this place today. Amen. Amen. So what does it mean to be Christian? You know, we're going to... We're going to dive into the Word of God here in the next few weeks, and we're going to look at what it means to be Christian. I think that we've learned what it means to be a good church member. I think that we know traditionally kind of how to talk to talk and walk to walk a little bit. We know that uh, we're, we're in a group of Christians. We even talk a little differently or act a little differently. So I think we've learned what it means to, you know, kind of play that role. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being a Christ follower. I'm talking about being a little Jesus. You know that the word Christian didn't originate with the church. The word Christian came from the church in Antioch, or from the people of Antioch, about the church in Antioch, and they said, these people are Christians. They're little Jesuses. Their lives so looked like Jesus' life that they started calling them Christians. You know, we as God's people, we're called to represent Christ in the earth. And represent is represent. You know, Jesus was on the earth. He said certain things. He acted a certain way. And now he's given us his spirit. And we're to go into all the world and represent him to the earth. Not carry our traditions. Not carry our theology. But to go into the world and be Jesus to the world. What does it mean to be Christian? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, I mean, we're going to look at it for the next few weeks. We're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the longest discord. It is the longest discourse that Jesus had in the Bible. It's Matthew 5 through 7. It's three chapters. It has more of the tenets of our Christian faith than any other teaching in the Bible that Jesus did. Tenets meaning you're going to learn about disciplines. You're going to learn about thought processes. You're going to learn about just the reason that we're on the earth as Christians. So we're going to talk about that a lot in the next few weeks to come. One of the things we're going to jump into, though, in Matthew chapter 5 is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he has this profound statement. Matthew 5, 48. So right in the middle of this sermon that's teaching all about how to be Christian, he says these words. You shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect or as your Father in heaven, is perfect. Now, some translations will say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, but that's, that's really a wrong translation, and it's really a dangerous translation because what it implies is that you being perfect is on you. But that's not the way it says. This is an exact translation. You shall be perfect, or you will be perfect, even as your Father, and, and actually heavens is plural in this verse in the original, but as your Father in heaven is perfect. He's stating his purpose. He's saying to be Christian means you're perfect. He's come to make you 
perfect. And it makes people recoil. They're like, I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect. Well, yeah, in your natural life, you're not. But Jesus came to make you perfect. You don't have to be perfect. He's come to make you perfect through faith. You are the righteousness of God. You walk uprightly before the Lord because he's made you perfect. We, we have a hard time even believing that. And it's because we really, ha we really have not accepted what it means to be Christian. To be Christian means you're perfect. And because you're perfect, you're blessed. Because perfect people are blessed. Those that walk uprightly before the Lord have a whole slew of biblical promises that God says these are yours because you walk uprightly before the Lord and you're perfect. You are righteous before God because Jesus has made you righteous before God. And so you're blessed. And so what does that mean? It means you don't have to worry. You don't have to have negative emotions. You don't have to have negative worry. You don't have to have fear. 365 times the Bible says, don't fear. You don't have to have that. He doesn't want you worrying about all the things that people that don't know him worry about. He said, because I've made you perfect in my sight, you experience the blessing of God. Therefore, you don't have to worry about what you wear, what you drink, what you eat, what you're going to do for a living. You don't have to worry about retirement. You don't have to worry about health care. You don't have to worry. He doesn't want you to worry. And automatically you're going, uh, I don't know. I don't know about all that. That seems a little extreme. I, I'm just teaching the word, okay? Our problem comes down that we don't believe it sometimes. What it means to be Christian. And then he says in the middle of that, not only do you worry, because you've only got one job. And that's to seek his kingdom first. And his righteousness. Not yours. You see, this is where a lot of Christians just drive off the cliff. They do. They, like, they think that the blessings of God are based on their righteousness. He said, I don't care if you seek your right. You don't have any. You can look for it from now to the day you die. You don't have any. And neither do I. He said, our righteousness at our best is filthy rags. And I won't go into what that filthy rag is. It's just not a good thing. He's saying, it's not anything. You got one job. Seek his kingdom. And we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks based on the kingdom teachings out of the Sermon on the Mount. And his righteousness. He said all of this perfection, all of this blessing is tied up in the fact that we are in his righteousness. Wow. And the righteous are blessed. They're blessed. This is just a few things. Salvation. That's a blessing. You, you do know that only perfect people go to heaven. Did, did you have a thought that something else... You only can go to heaven if you're perfect. If you've broken one law, you're not perfect. So only perfect people go to heaven. So he's made you perfect so that you can have the blessing of salvation. That's what that means. And deliverance. 
The devil can't have anything on you. He couldn't have anything on Jesus because Jesus was perfect and the devil had nothing in him. And whenever the devil comes to you, you walk in divine deliverance because the devil has nothing in you. If you're perfect in God, if you're righteous in God, he doesn't have nothing in you. He can't get you. That's a blessing of deliverance. That's powerful. Healing. Sickness can't grow in his light. Prosperity. You know, he promises that we have, we're going to be able to make a living. Do you know that he promises to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on us that we can't even imagine? Because we are upright before him. Because Jesus took the curse on the tree. Galatians 3.13. There's no curse left. Jesus took it all. Therefore, we don't walk in the curse. We walk in the blessing because we're the righteousness of God. And so we have strength in the power of his might, in the strength of his hand. We have that strength. We have guidance. We have the spirit of God that tells us everything, even the future. Read it, John 16, even the future. What it means to be Christian means you are tremendously blessed because you're perfect before God. You didn't earn it. He gave it to you. That's, that's grace. It's a free gift. I want it. How about you? I want that. I want to be blessed. I don't want to be, in the, I don't want to be outside of that. And when I'm blessed, it's impossible for me to be cursed. I read the Old Testament. Balaam, when he, he wanted to curse God's people, and he said he couldn't do it because God had chosen to bless them. It was impossible for him to curse them. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It says it, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, God, the Father, made him, Jesus the Son, who didn't know sin, he was perfect, to be sin for me so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's about being in him, in faith. So he took my sin and gave me his righteousness and it's just as though I've never sinned at all. I'm perfect and stand righteous before God. Therefore, every blessing that God has is for me. His defense, his favor surrounds me like a shield. I'm quoting scripture. I'm not just saying these things off my head. All of these things are scripture. His presence, his presence is with me everywhere I go. I have an inheritance. I have a family. Even if you were born into a crummy family, even if everyone abandoned you, even if you were totally left as an orphan, it doesn't matter. He promises you a family. You have a family. And a companion. He's closer than a brother. He never leaves you or forsakes you. And guess what? He brings people into your life that won't ever leave you or forsake you either. Because you're the righteousness of God. That's what it means to be Christian. He's truly set us free. He's truly set us free. From what? From the power of sin. Let me say it this way. He sets you free from your obsession with sin. Your obsession. He sets you free. He's come, he's set you free, he's taken all the sin off of you, he's put his righteousness on you, and he has set you free 
And then he says this, now make sure, this is putting it back on me, make sure you stay free. How do I stay free? I want to be free. I, I want all those blessings. I want to be free. I don't, want to, I don't want to be tied up in this. And he says, well then, don't get tied up again in your slavery to the law. You see, to be Christian means that you've accepted Christ into your life and you accepted everything he did and he's made you perfect before God and so perfect that you can go to heaven because you're perfect before God. And he said he's given that to you as a free gift. He said, but you, you have to believe that. Have you ever heard anybody say it just takes faith? You ever hear anybody say you just have to believe? Well, you know, it's important to know what you're believing. It's important to know what you're having faith in. Well, what are you having faith in? That you're free. <laughs> that Jesus has taken it off of you. You're free from the penalty of sin. You're free from the, the, the obsession that we have with sin. The only way we get tied up in it again is when we come into it through grace, but then we decide we keep it by keeping the law. And sometimes we get tied up again in the law, and then we start chasing our tail again, and you can never be righteous on your own. And pretty soon, you're just as bad as you were before you came to know the Lord. And you'll find yourself step right out of the blessing of God because you don't believe that you're righteous before him. You come to the altar, you cry, you receive Christ, you have grace, he gives you salvation, and then you think it's up to you to walk in that and keep the law. And I just want to say to you, he has set you free from the obsession with the law. So what does that mean? Well, it means that a lot of people struggle. They struggle staying in him. They struggle staying in faith. They definitely struggle staying in freedom. They definitely struggle staying in God's blessings. So how do we know if we're in bondage? How do we know if we've gotten back into the law? Well, it's pretty simple. You're always thinking about sin. If you're always thinking about sin... Yours or somebody else's? It's a pretty good sign you're in bondage. Because he sets you free from that. What are you thinking about it for? He took it all on himself. Why are you thinking about that? You have an internal dialogue in your head all the time about sin. You know, what you want to do, what you can't do, what they can do, what they shouldn't do. You're constantly thinking about it. Everybody, you know, oh, they're sinning, this is sinning, I'm sinning, this is... Well, that's sin, and I don't want to go near that. That's, I mean, you're obsessed. And he has set you free from an obsession of sin. And he says, stay free. What are you picking all that up for again? I mean, you're in a group of people. You can't even enjoy yourself because all you can see is what's wrong with everybody else. And yourself. You can't enjoy the moment because you're so focused on what's wrong. That's an obsession. That's a sign of bondage. That's a sign that you've never really believed what Christian means. You are set free. But you have to believe it. You have to have faith that he has set you free. And he wants to bless you immensely because of that freedom. Because you can walk in that, in that righteous place. Freedom, what does it mean? Well, sin's not the focus of your thoughts. 
You don't think about it all the time. You don't think about it for yourself. You're not constantly thinking about how you can get around the law and sin. or You're not think, constantly thinking about, you know, what's the next thing I can do or get away with. Or, you know, what's sin? Can I look at the Bible and say, well, if I do this, that's sin. If I don't do that, that's... I, you're not obsessed with it. You're just living life. You're free. There's no internal dialogue about sin. You're not thinking about it all the time or talking to yourself about it. And you're in a group of people, you're enjoying the people because you're not looking at what's wrong with everybody. You're just enjoying them. You know, you love them for who they are. And you don't see everything that's wrong. And you can enjoy the moment. You can enjoy your environment. You can enjoy people. You can enjoy your life. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great to get rid of all the negative thoughts? All the negative emotions that come with those thoughts? Wouldn't that be great to just walk in complete freedom? Well, the question is, why don't we? Because he's given us power. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, and I love the Passion Translation, that we capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the, the anointed one. You bring your thoughts captive. That's what he's saying. You take those thoughts captive because if they don't match the truth of God's word, you need to bring them and make them kneel at the foot of Jesus and say, when the devil tells you you're a sinner and you're lousy and you're going to hell, you take that thought, negative thought captive and you don't let it lead to a negative emotion of being depressed. You bring it and you kneel it before Jesus and say, this has to submit to the truth of what Jesus did and said. That's what it means to be Christian. We have the ability, because he's given it to us, to bring our thoughts captive, to bring every negative thought captive. Because I guarantee you, if you don't do it, every negative thought is going to bring a negative emotion. You know what a negative emotion is? Anger. Some, some people are like, I'm just angry. I was born this way. I'm just angry. No, that's a negative emotion that's brought about by a negative thought. And you have to isolate that negative thought because that's what you've got to bring captive. All the devil has is, is words. Okay? He doesn't have any power. I know you've seen these horror movies like he's got all this. He doesn't have any power. He's got words. You give him the power. And he does it through your negative thoughts. And he comes in your mind and he starts to tell you all these lies. And those negative thoughts create negative emotions. And pretty soon you're angry. You're worried. You're fearful. You're jealous. There's all these emotions come up inside you. And you can't be happy because you're believing a lie. You have to bring every thought captive. So that's easy. I've heard sermons like you have about this. And it's hard sometimes to bring your thoughts captive. But I ran across a resource lately that I thought was really good. And I think it's excellent. And this woman that wrote this book, it's called Loving What Is. Her name's Byron Katie. And she was a woman that went through an emotional breakdown because she had so many negative thoughts that she ended up having so many negative emotions that she ended up just breaking down. And she spent months on her face in this house, just on her face. And God, I feel God gave her this simple four questions to ask yourself when these negative thoughts come in your mind. And it helps for you to bring them captive. 
helps for you to bring them to the obedience of Christ. I love her book. She's, she's a very good writer. She, she tells stories in it. And this is one thing. I'm going to read this story to you because this is how our minds work. We can take the smallest things and we can build these big negative scenarios and they can actually take us into anger or into doing something stupid just because we've believed something that's not even true. And she tells this story in their book, and I love it. I think it's really good, so I'm going to read it. Once I walked into the ladies' room at a restaurant near my home, and a woman came out of the single stall. We smiled at each other, and I closed the door of the stall. She began to sing and wash her hands. And I thought, what a lovely voice. And then I heard her leave, and I noticed the toilet seat was dripping wet. And I thought, how could anybody be so rude? And how in the world did she manage to pee all over the seat? I mean, did she stand on it? And then it came to me that she was a man, a transvestite man, singing falsetto in the woman's restroom, and it crossed my mind to go after her, her him, and let him know what a mess he had made. And as I cleaned the toilet seat and I thought about everything I was going to say to him, I flushed the toilet and the water shot up out of the bowl and flooded the seat. <laughs> and then she felt foolish. Why? Because these negative thoughts had bred negative emotions and she was ready to go confront someone and be angry because she thought she had figured out the story and it was nothing, nothing but a lying scenario. It, it, it's so funny how our minds work. And the devil knows how he works. You know, you know that the devil's the father of lies? So it makes sense that he would lie to us, don't you think? Then the challenge becomes, what are we going to believe? And this is where these four questions come in really handy. And the first question is, is this thought true? You know, when I was a young man, we were first married, Wendy and I. I, I was a really insecure young man, and um, I used to say to her, you know, Wendy, I don't think you love me. I had this thought in my head. I didn't think she loved me. And so whenever I was thinking about this message, I thought, I remember going through this kind of this scenario just sort of intuitively, you know. It's like, well, why do I think she doesn't love me? Well, there were certain things she did that made me think she didn't love me. There were certain things she didn't do that made me think she didn't love me. And so it kind of came down to her performance is what would determine whether she loved me. Which is pretty much how we live life anyway. And I had to ask myself, is that true? And there were a lot of times I'd say, yeah, I believe it's true. Based upon what I experienced, I, I don't think she does. Negative thought. Well, the second question is kind of redundant, but it's really a good one. It says, can you absolutely know it's true? <laughs> I mean, honestly, can you absolutely know, Daryl, that Wendy doesn't love you? I said, well, no, I'm not a mind reader. I don't, I don't know what she's thinking. But based upon what I expect her to do, <laughs> she's not living up to my expectations of what love would, you know, should be, right? And I'm the standard because, after all, it's about me, right? So... And you know this is absolutely true. And the answer, of course, is no. Well, let me just tell you, right here, you can stop most of your negative thoughts right here. Because whenever it's no, let's go back to the devil being the father of lies. He's lying to you 
and you're believing something you don't even know to be true, and he's trying to lead you to, into negative thoughts so you can have negative emotions, and you can build a whole scenario, and you'll end up doing something, saying something, acting out something that's pretty dumb just because you have a negative thought you didn't deal with. This is how you bring them captive. You find out if they're true. And if you can't, assume it's not. But let's go on. Number three. Well, if you believe this and you keep believing it, the question is, how do you react or what happens when you believe that thought? And I would think when I would believe that about Wendy, it would make me get mad at her. It would make me close my heart to her. I would want her to feel not loved. So I would treat her cold. I would treat her like, I don't love you. And so I'm acting, <laughs> I'm acting out, don't laugh at me. <laughs> so anyway, I'll go over here. But <laughs> it, my negative thoughts made me have negative emotions. So it actually made me act out in negative actions. And pretty soon I was damaging my marriage because I'm believing a lie. Let me just say, Jesus was really smart. And he said something that was really smart. He said a lot of things that were smart, but this is really smart. He said, if the fruit's bad, the root's bad. And so when you do this right here and you say, what do, happens as a result of my negative thoughts and my negative emotions? What is the outcome? If it's bad, the root is bad. Get rid of it. Just get rid of it. You bring those thoughts captive and you make them submit to the truth of God's word. And the fourth one, who would you be without that thought? This is a great one. I would be free. I'd be absolutely free. And I would love her with all my heart like I want to. And I would believe that she loves me. I would be so free. I wouldn't even think about this junk. You know, I don't care if this is a scenario about your kids are 15 minutes late. And so you're building a scenario in your mind that you're about to go call the morgue. I just want to say to you, 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 you need to understand negative thoughts and the negative emotions that are attached to those thoughts and then how to bring them into captivity and diffuse them and get rid of them. And after these four questions, you run through them in your mind. You run through these thoughts and you really diffuse this whole thing most of the time. At the end, she has this great thing. She says, then you need to turn that thought around. And you know, Wendy doesn't love me? No, Wendy loves me. And then, not only that, you say, she loves me, and I start making a list of all the reasons I know she loves me, and pretty soon that list is ten times longer than the one that I, that little, you turn it around, and then you choose to believe the truth. And you don't stop just turning it around one time. You turn it around several times. There's several different ways to turn it around. And the other way you turn it around is, Maybe the problem is not that she doesn't love me. Maybe the problem is I don't love me. Maybe it has nothing to do with her at all. Maybe I'm looking for her to do and, and act in certain ways to fulfill a need in me that only I can do what God can do. I'm not trying to bring condemnation on you. What I'm trying to do is bring revelation to you to set you free from things that are causing you a lot of pain and problems in your life. God, has, as, as being Christians, we, we need to realize that we have tremendous authority and power. 
And we do not have to walk under the oppression of the enemy. The only reason he has power and authority is because you give it to him. And so I just encourage you. I encourage you to, to go through this simple exercise. You'll be shocked. I encourage you to get her book and read it. It's a great book. But the truth is, you need to do something instead of just allowing your negative thoughts to turn into negative emotions and then just to run your life. So what does all this mean? It means that we have the power to be Christian. And we have the power to walk on top of the negative things. If the enemy does not have authority over us, then lest we give it to him. And so we want to be Christian. We want to represent Christ. And I promise you, if you look at this, and Jesus had so many reasons to have negative thoughts and negative emotions, and he never bit one time. That's the way I want to be. Because walking in this world, there's a lot of opportunity to pick up a lot of negative junk. And I want to just seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and believe I'm in great standing with God. And because of that, I'm a blessed individual. And everywhere I go, I can expect blessing and favor. And that's the way God wants me to live. Instead of getting in this obsession of this sin circle of chasing my tail and never being able to catch it. So let's stand together. I want to pray for some of y'all that have negative emotions. If you're a ministry team, if you're ministering, please come up now. And if you would, just stay with me. Hang with me for just a minute longer. You know, if you have negative emotions, by that I mean if you, if you live with anger, fear, worry, and it's just all the time, even with despair, I, I want you to take a moment... And I want you to isolate the negative thought that has preceded that negative emotion. And then I want you to just ask yourself if it's true. Do you know that this is absolutely true? You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's true. And how does this negative thought make you act And then I want you to just imagine yourself free of it, just shaking it off. And I'm just going to ask you to just open your heart, just however way you see that, just envision opening your heart to the deepest part of your being where these negative emotions and negative thoughts reside. And I just want you to invite God to wash it out of your heart. Bring truth, Lord. To reveal the lie. Bring truth God. To wash this stuff out. Bring freedom. Where there's been bondage. And just let him wash. Your heart. Let him set you free. As you walk out of here today. That you would be an absolutely changed person. Because you'd no longer give a foothold to the enemy's lies. So, Father, we just pray freedom over these people today. Freedom over your people. That you would break the bondage that the enemy has put on our hearts and on our minds. 
replace every lie with truth and that we could walk out of here, God, knowing the truth about who we are in you. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be Christian, for choosing us, saving us, making us righteous and perfect before you. Thank you for your blessings and your faithfulness. Thank you that every day that we live, we can expect good things. And then the day that we step out of this life, we can walk right into heaven. God, you are so good to us. And that's why it's good news. We thank you for it. And we love you, Lord. And we thank you for just working and ministering in our hearts today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If, if you have a prayer need today, please come up and receive prayer.